Hello and welcome back to the Blast from Our Past podcast, where we talk about nostalgic movies from our younger days, and also TV shows, and also recast either movies or TV shows. And sometimes other things that we just want to see done as a movie. Exactly. I'm Adam. I'm John. And let's go ahead and dive right into this episode where we are going to be talking about Red Sonja, talk about the TV show Walker, Texas Ranger, and we're going to recast Red Sonja. I've been looking forward to this episode all week. Yeah, I am a self-proclaimed Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. Big, big fan. I absolutely love the guy. Maybe not his personal nanny fucking things, but (laughs) I love his movies. Yeah, I've always been a fan. Obviously not nearly as much as you. For me, it's usually certain movies over others I prefer, but I definitely, I don't shy away from watching his stuff. So Red Sonja from 1985, directed by Richard Fleischer, who is also known for Conan the Destroyer, Tora Tora Tora, 20 Leagues Under the Sea. So kind of a classic director here. So this movie is a definite fantasy sword. It's very similar to the Conan series and me as a kid, I'm just going to straight up say I had no idea this wasn't another Conan movie. Here's the funny thing. It was supposed to be. Oh. Because Red Sonja, the character of Red Sonja comes from the Conan the Barbarian series when it was at Marvel. Okay. So Red Sonja actually, uh, the creator of Conan the original, had a character named Red Sonja who was similar, but the, the iteration that we know from this movie came from Marvel Comics in the 70s when they were doing a Conan the Barbarian run. When they decided to do this movie, they wanted to include Conan the Barbarian in it, but they could not get the rights, which is why he has a different name. And the sort of unofficial fan theory for this of why he has a different name, is that Kalidor is one of Conan's traveling names. Kind of like how in Lord of the Rings, Gandalf had a traveling name, Mithrandir, that the elves would call him. Aragorn and Strider. Right, exactly. So that is sort of like the created fan theory, is that it really is Conan, <laughs> but that's Kalidor is just one of his traveling names that the people in this section of the world know him as. Okay, that helps clear it up a little bit. So, yeah, because it was actually produced by the same guy who produced all of the Conan movies, which is... Dino De Laurentiis. Okay. He wanted Conan in this to kind of you know give it some le- legitimacy, but they just could not get the rights to do it. And so they kind of just finagled a little bit by giving him a different name. Okay. All right. So this movie obviously stars Arnold Schwarzenegger actually in a supporting role. And our main protagonist is Red Sonja, played by Bridget Nielsen, who some people out there may know as the Russian female from Rocky Four who was married to Ivan Drago. I remember her more actually from Beverly Hills Cop 2 as the tall blonde at the beginning who goes in and robs the bank or the jewelry store. I can't remember which one. Okay. People more recently might know her from, I think she was on Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew. She was on The Surreal Life and she had this really weird relationship with Flavor Flav. Yeah. It's just two very interesting people. Uh, She was also married to Sylvester Stallone in the 80s for a couple years. The weird thing is, is if you look at her in when she became kind of popular again in The Surreal Life and her in this movie, even though she is older, they don't look like the same person. No, not not even at all. She's either had some work done or something, but whatever. Let's talk about Red Sonja. So the movie opens with a starting crawl, somewhat similar to Star Wars, if you will, and it reads as follows. Her name was Red Sonja. She lived in a savage world, in an age of violence, a fierce warrior with flaming red hair. In the Hyborian kingdom, her quest for justice and vengeance became a legend. This is how the legend began. 
So a lot of drama that they're starting you off with. And then we have this immediate cut to a burning house. And there's a weird voice going on. We have this person with red hair who we're assuming is Red Sonia right away. The weird kind of ghost or spirit. It's kind of giving us more exposition and more explanation. Where honestly, it's like, why did I have a crawl and have this ghost telling me everything? And the funny thing about it is she's telling Red Sonia literally what just happened to her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the complete opposite of the show-don't-tell mentality that you're taught in film school. <laughs> right. So yeah, so we find some things out about her. She apparently kind of was attacked by this queen and she fought back and scarred this queen's face who we find out to be Queen Gedrin. But Red Sonia was raped and pillaged and has this very distrust of men because of this now. But the spirit gives Red Sonia a sword arm with no equal. Basically, she is the Brienne of Tarth of this world. Right. Next, we cut to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh yeah, on a horse. That is such a fun driving beat. I think they go on for like five minutes of just Arnold riding around with a horse for no reason. I did find actually the music to be a little bit unique because in today's films, probably they would try to make it a little bit more dramatic. The music would be a little bit more intense. But here it is a little bit lighthearted. You have just kind of like a trumpet taking the melody. Bum, ba-ba-bum, ba-ba-bum, ba-ba-bum. It's almost like a little march. Just kind of him going through the countryside on his horse. And it's a lot more lighthearted than you'd think for something that started out so dramatically. But it's really good. It's uh, The music is done by Ennio Morricone. Uh, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he's the same guy who's most famous for The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Everybody knows that song. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really like the music in this, particularly that driving march that they do. Yeah. So after Arnold Schwarzenegger rides around for five minutes, cut to some ritual happening. It's all about this talisman that is too powerful and they kind of have to get rid of it. It's a collective of women priestesses. I guess, but this talisman, this big kind of green orb is so powerful it can create worlds and destroy worlds. We hear them say that they're they're actually waiting for him to show up. Oh yes, yes, they're waiting for someone. Yeah, exactly. And we're assuming it's basically, it's Arnold. They show him, but we haven't associated the names together yet. Yeah, they're waiting for someone to destroy this talisman. But before that can happen, the temple is raided. We now find out that the women are warriors as well, and so they're all kind of fighting. There's a cool-ish because it's not great. A little battle scene between and we know these people who are coming in are the villains because they're wearing all black they have skulls on their helmets for god's sake (laughs) here are blatantly evil people yes i thought it was a little interesting that the instigation of this is the character who will later come to know as eichel throws a shuriken throws a a ninja star Because apparently they have that and hits the main priestess who's starting to perform this ritual. I just thought it was a weird way to do that. And he looks like he's waiting for something Mm -hmm. like he's waiting for her to get to a certain point. But there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. He's just kind of standing there staring at her. Then he rears back and throws it. So he's a weird ninja 
guy thing, I guess. Yes, although he looks way too old and uncoordinated to actually be a ninja. Yeah, so they raid the temple and the evil Queen Gedrin comes in basically at the end of the raid to steal the talisman. She wants all the power for herself. So they are about to take the talisman and she has one of her male guards touch it and he disappears. I guess he vanishes or just dies immediately. But the talisman can be touched by female hands. And I guess that's why it was a temple of all females who were protecting this orb. Yes, now it makes more sense. So we have a very powerful, very feminine orb that can destroy the world. One of the priestesses escapes through a secret passage. And I do want to say, as the evil group and the queen are like leaving, they throw all these priestesses into like this pit. And if you listen to their noises, they are the weirdest like (laughs) noises. It's like, I really wish I could have sat in that ADR session because they're making the worst death sounds. sounds like they're weirdly tortured down there tortured or almost sexual or it's a lot of weird stuff (laughs) it is weird you know what i would call it moaning it doesn't even really sound like screaming it sounds like moaning yeah very awkward yes so the priestess who escapes Kalidor slash Arnold Schwarzenegger finds her as she's ziplining. The one of the bad guys does shoot her with an arrow in the back. And so she's kind of falls into the arms of Arnold basically at the end of the zipline. But she tells Kalidor that he must find her sister and help her recover the talisman. They only have 13 days. Apparently they know exactly the amount of time that the talisman will destroy the earth. So now we know that Arnold needs to go find the sister and we cut to a sword fight scene. I think it's really well shot, actually. It starts off in a POV point of view angle where you're kind of only seeing hands and and this one person is kind of dominating the fight. And then the other person who is obviously sparring with him is beaten. You cut to a low angle shot, the POV of the person who's lost, and it's Red Sonia kind of in this domineering low angle shot. So we find out that the Red Sonia that we saw from earlier is now a total badass sword fighter. Yep, now she's a great warrior. She's got the obviously 80s clothing, which is barely there clothing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not much armor, not much... Uh anything that's going to protect her in real life. Yeah, exactly. Definitely see that she is a badass sword fighter. She is basically just like Wonder Woman, but with a gigantic red mullet. Yeah, we've got to talk about the hair a little bit. It's a, it's a great 80s mullet. It is a mullet. I mean, it's it's not anything else. It's not the hair pulled back in a certain way. It's a mullet. It is business in the front, party in the back. And poofed up kind of in the front, too. Yeah. Also, another thing that I, I've always kind of loved, but I really let, let on to after re-watching this the other day the grandmaster his outfit is the weirdest <laughs> looking thing ever it's insane i want to cosplay that okay. i want to build one just just to walk around the problem is is if you look at it it's got like flags or something or ribbons that are hanging out that like hang out like three feet in every direction it's unique i don't think i've ever seen anything like it it's also impractical yes 
<laughs> well, it seems more ceremonial than actual Yeah, armor. yeah. And they are the, obviously at a training center or a training session. So maybe it's like, yeah, he kind of mentions, okay, she is the best of that entire group. She is the master of the masters. So kind of it's her final test. And now she is the best swordsman in that entire group. Yeah. To end the ceremony, the Grand Master says she can pick a sword. One, I guess, kind of calls to her. Kind of hear a voice saying, Sonia. Sonia. It's the same spirit voice that we saw at the beginning. So yeah, so that spirit voice is kind of guiding her to this big, badass, great sword that she pulls out, which actually looks, it looks very much like a prop. <laughs> it kind of does. When you look at it, it's like, it's not honed very well. It's not very sharp or anything, but it's still a cool enough looking sword. Yeah. So Arnold then enters right after that, telling Sonia that she must leave because her sister is dying. So they get to the sister. Sister says about the talisman was stolen, that they've got 13 days before the planet gets destroyed, and Sonia must be the one to destroy it. We get some atrocious acting here, particularly in this scene, if I must say so. Yeah. The sister finally dies, and you get Bridget Nielsen crying over the body and being sad, but it is terribly acted and Arnold says this line she's dead and a living of work to do immediately after she dies Arnold says she's dead but he doesn't say it like compassionately he's just like that bitch is dead <laughs> it's like well duh not the best writing not good acting like this movie is rife with poor acting honestly it is and mostly on the part of Bridget Nielsen unfortunately yes she has a fantastic look but her acting is so bad I will say like her physical acting is mm -hmm. okay kind of the way she does things but a lot of it has to do with her delivery yeah the lines are not written great and you you can only do so much with badly written lines yeah it seems pretty obvious that she's not a native english speaker yeah well neither is arnold yeah it's true <laughs> <laughs> and so you have these two not great english speakers going back and forth and it's just it's not it's not very good yeah so, Sonia now takes upon this quest, and she leaves to go to Haplock, which is uh, the city that she can tell the talisman is being used on because of it's uh, basically being destroyed by thunder and lightning and shit. Yeah. We cut to this little emperor-like character, who we find out to be Prince Tarn, standing awkwardly on this giant statue hand while his servant Falcon is trying to swing him back so he doesn't fall into this great big crevice. Sonia comes in and helps them out. Lucky for you that this person came along. Reward her and tell her who I am. His Royal Highness, the Prince Tarn, great Lord of Hablock, keeper of the spotless throne, great elephant who fertilizes the world with his- I've told you not to say that. Do it again and I'll have you impaled. And this emperor is played by Ernie Reyes Jr. For me, he's most well known for as Kino in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. Yes. But he's also extremely famous for playing one of the surf ninjas yes. from the movie Surf Ninjas. He was, Ernie Reyes Jr. was a kind of a prominent figure in our childhood because of movies like this and Ninja Turtles 2 and, and Surf Ninjas and a few other things that he kind of popped up in here or there that I know we probably saw as kids. And then he just disappeared off the map. 
for a long time. And then I remember specifically when I saw him again, uh, I went to go see The Rundown, which was a movie with The Rock oh, yeah. and William Scott or Sean William Scott, excuse me. And not bad. Not a bad movie. No, it really wasn't. Uh, I mean, it wasn't one that I went actively out of my way to go see again, but I walked out of the theater going, oh, it was entertaining for what it was. Mm-hmm. But he plays one of the kind of native fighters or rebellion yeah. fighters. But as soon as I saw him and I forget who I was with, it was probably my wife. I remember seeing him and I grabbed my wife's leg and I go, oh my God, that's Ernie Reyes Jr. <laughs> and I just knew it because I saw his face. Uh-huh. And of course, at that point, by now he was just, he looked like Arnold. He was completely beefed up, but he mostly does stunt work now or scenes that require a lot of stunt work because he's always been known as a good martial artist. And that shows in this movie. Yes. Because he was, I don't know, he had to be like eight or nine and the kid has got some moves. Yeah. Well, he's obviously, obviously martial arts was something that he's always been trained in and probably that was what informed his acting was his ability to do martial arts. So he, yeah, he plays Prince Tarn, who is this very sassy, conceited little prince who gets anything that he wants and he says whatever he wants. And Falcon is kind of like his oafish servant. Yeah, and uh, and kind of blindly dedicated to him. Humorously dedicated to him. Yeah. Because when it's like, the world is at an end, why the hell would you stick by this kid? Right. Falcon is still like, yes, my lord, anything you want, my lord, like that kind of stuff. And it's pretty fun. It's funny. Yeah, he's, well, he's definitely bought into the idea of the royalty and believes that this kid who is was just born happened to be born to royalty is where he should be yeah it's funny because the kid they, they just have an interesting i like their dynamic yeah in the in the movie yeah actually i'm gonna just gonna go ahead and say my favorite part about rewatching this movie is ernie ray's jr <laughs> i love his character and I love his ridiculousness. Like, he's just, he's so funny to me. He's so much a kid who's used to getting his way that it gets him into trouble. And it, it creates sort of awkward situations which kind of help break up what could be an otherwise kind of straightforward, boring story. He adds a lot of humor to where you wouldn't get very much of it. You're not going to get great comedic <laughs> delivery from <laughs> right. Arnold or Bridget. So pretty much Tarn and Falcon bring all the comedy to this film. Yeah. So after we kind of have that introduction and meet them, Sonia then goes off onto this stronghold at night. As she's getting ready to leave Hoblock, they ask, this is when she kind of finds out that it's Getrin who has the talisman, who was the woman who burned her house. They tell them that there's two ways to do it. There's there's a short way and the long way. The short way requires that they go through Brightag's toll, which is they have to go through Brightag's sort of fiefdom or something, which is why she ends up going there. Yeah. So we go to Brightag. He wants a tribute. He has to pay. She has to pay the toll, which for her apparently means she's got to give him some nookie. She, yeah. <laughs> I don't she, know what else to call it. Yeah, because I'm a 90s kid, I guess. So I, <laughs> I use the term nookie still. He needs some companionship is what he's saying. Yes, he needs some companionship. If I am Brightag. This is my land. All that pass through pay me tribute. How much Brightag? Tribute, I said. The tender kind all women pay to Brightag. Suppose I don't. Suppose instead I open up that great fat belly of yours. And instead she's like, fuck that, I'll just kill you instead. And so they fight. She kills him pretty 
easily. Yeah, you know what? Brightag is one of those characters which actually I wish more had gone into. Yeah, like he was it was in and out. Yeah, it was very in and out, but there could have been something more there. Part of me wishes that maybe she hadn't actually killed him and that he could have come back later or if she'd done something where we think he kills him and he comes back because he was a character, you know, I mean, it wasn't any greater than the other villains in the in the movie, but added a little bit of change to it. Yeah, there was potential. There was potential there. I would have liked a little bit, just a little bit more from it. And that's actually why we're going to cast Brightag yeah. later in the podcast, because I, I agree, like if they redid this movie, I do think they would make this character a little bit bigger of a deal. Yeah, a little bit more fleshed out. They could do something more with it, other than just the quick, what felt like 10 minute scene that it happens to be. Honestly, I think it was even shorter than that. <laughs> we also find out, well, first of all, she asks him, if I kill you, will your soldiers attack me? And they all say no. And of course, after she kills him, they go to attack her. Or there's a buildup. And then I actually really enjoy the entrance of Kalidor, of Arnold, into this scene. Oh my god. <laughs> I was going to... This is going to talk about this, too. It's, this is a ridiculous entrance. You see them all kind of slowly going towards her, and she's she's got her sword out. She's ready to battle. And then all of a sudden, you hear a guttural scream. Yeah! Well done, Sonia! And he just pops straight up from behind him, sword facing down, and just slams it into the back of them. But it happens so quick, it comes out of absolutely nowhere. Yes, because there was no indication that he was following her. And so it's just all of a sudden, Arnold attack! Like, that's just, it came from nowhere. It was ridiculous, but I loved it, I guess. <laughs> it was one of the times where it was over the top in a good way. Yeah, so basically it's Kalidor and Red Sonia against all of Brightag's army. They get to a escape and basically Arnold has Red Sonia leave and he will shut the door and hold off the army and you're like there's no way how the hell is Arnold gonna do this because there's a whole bunch of them right but also it's Arnold and he's badass <laughs> and he's on a horse and he's just like swinging his big ass sword and so Sonia leaves and she kind of turns back for a second watches Arnold as he's being his badass self killing everybody and she just gives this cute little smile a little like okay I respect him I think I might like this guy a little bit maybe maybe not all men suck which is kind of the vibe she gives off for a while her defenses might be getting torn down a little bit by Arnold right we now cut to it's the daytime Sonia now is running into people who are torturing Prince Tarn they have him tied up in each leg and arm and they're just kind of men are pulling the ropes called drawn and quartered so Sonia and Falcon who apparently wasn't around when the prince got captured he was out hunting bust in and they stop the men pretty easily and we see some of the prince's fighting moves here which is just kind of cool I really like seeing I guess I like watching kids do martial arts. <laughs> I've got some YouTube videos to watch after this. <laughs> But yeah, so they save Prince Tarn, some more comical delivery from the prince and from Falcon. We cut to the talisman at the Queen's Palace, Queen Gedrin's place, and it's in a room full of candles, like a fuck ton of candles in this room. Yeah. But that's because light powers the talisman, and so she wants it at full power so she can destroy whoever the hell she wants. Yeah, you know, my first thought was, after kind of rewatching this a few days ago, when they brought it in, because I remembered, you know, that it was a room full of candles, but then when they went in, and I saw it, I go, mm -hmm. in my head, I think I turned to my wife who was watching this with me and said, I would have hated to be the PA who had to light all of those candles. Yeah. Oh, that poor <laughs> PA. <laughs> 
we kind of see some other people in her court. She's got a weird looking wizard guy. She has a pet spider that was a very terribly done pet spider. I don't remember seeing it again after that scene. No, I don't think no, I think spiders. Yeah, it's just like randomly, randomly a pet spider. Okay. And her wizard guy tells her of enemies approaching. And so he has her look at this mystical mirror where he can, I guess, show her whatever he wants. And this is the weirdest fucking thing. <laughs> where he starts up the weird mirror-y kind of thing or whatever whatever it is, and it's just this belly dancer, this topless belly dancer yes! dancing. It makes no sense. And I don't remember nudity in this movie at all. And it is just like, all of a sudden, here's some random woman dancing topless. Yes, it's like you went to someone else's computer and opened their browser, yeah. <laughs> and the porn that they had been watching was still up, and they kind of, oh, excuse me, and then yeah. shut it and watched it. That's exactly what it was like. It was like yes. he went to the wrong channel. Yeah, that was his face. Uh, The face that he gave off was like, oh, this is obviously what I was looking at before. Whoops, let's just, let's go, let's go look at Arnold instead. Right. It was really, really weird. Now for me, my porn would be Arnold, but you know, whatever. (laughs) Love that man. But yeah, it was a really weird scene. Unnecessary. It, It really wasn't comedic. It just made no goddamn sense. Yeah. They're like, well, I want to put boobs in this movie. How can we do it? And this was, this was their answer. (laughs) There was a little bit of a, I don't know, I hate to use the term nip slip, but there was kind of a little bit in the very, very, very beginning (laughs) where Bridget Nielsen's kind of getting up and her clothes are all torn that she kind of has a little bit hanging out. And I forgot that that was there because the version that you and I used to watch as a kid, which I think we taped off of television, didn't have that on it. Uh Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I, I didn't even notice it this time. Well, I remember it from when I was a kid because I remember seeing it one time <laughs> on like when we got those free HBO weekends. Mm-hmm. It happened to be on. And I remember seeing it and thinking, wait a minute, I don't remember this scene. Oh, that's why that scene's not in the TV version. Yeah. But then I don't remember. I didn't remember the naked belly dancer either. No. So anyway, we get past the naked belly dancer and the wizard shows Gedrin, Sonia and the prince and Falcon because they're kind of entering their territory now. The queen recognizes Sonia as the redheaded woman who scarred her a long time ago and that she burned her house and that she's still alive and obviously that pissed off Gedrin and she wants to capture her so she can torture her and kill her for herself now. They decide to try to maneuver them into a specific place so they can have this killing machine that they call it. We don't know what it is yet. Yeah, they just mentioned the killing machine. But they want to use the killing machine to kill the other two people but they want to capture her alive. So we cut to Sonia, Prince and Falcon. They're approaching. They have to cross this big bone bridge, but it looks really cool. Yeah. A little bit of special effects. It was obviously painted special effects from back in the day, but it, it, looked, it looked good. Mm-hmm. We have another little scene of Prince Tarn being a bratty little shit, and I love him. I think he's just hilarious. <laughs> now, hear me, Gedrin. It is I, Prince Tarn of Hoblock, to revenge myself on the tyrant of Berkabane. Oh, be quiet, you arrogant, ungrateful pup. How dare you, woman? I'll show you how I dare. Sonia pulls him over her knee, ready to spank him, and Falcon stops her, basically saying, no, hit me, hit me, because he can't be touched. He's he's a prince. Right. It's just funny. I just absolutely love that character. They camp that night, and Sonia teaches Tarn some fighting lessons and just kind of, you know, they're just kind of all bonding, a little bonding scene, basically. Right. Cut to Gedrin. Gedrin and them are creating a storm to kind of push the group into that killing machine area, and now we kind of get down to this pearl scene. This is kind of a 
scene. This is one of the scenes that I probably remember the most yeah. as a kid. This one always just stuck in my head for some reason. And there's this gigantic pearl in the mouth of this stone dragon looking thing. And the prince wants it. This pearl revealed Hobla, village treasury. Buy me an army. Dig it out. Your Highness, it may belong to somebody. It does, and he wants it now. And so they're trying to pull it out, and he's having to use his dagger and trying right. to pry it out and whatnot, and he eventually does, but then we get this weird serpent creature that pops up into the water, and now it's going to kill them. We should mention that they, they're in a cavern, mm-hmm. and they're setting camp, and Sonya realizes that the prince has wandered off, and so they go in, they go deeper into the cavern and find this weird sort of open space with carvings around it and steps, mm-hmm. and then you have that sort of mouthed shape with the big giant pearl in it and it's already filling with water they have to wade through the water just to get to it but when he pulls the pearl out the water increases as if it was a trap of some kind so yeah so they're getting filled up with water and then now there's this serpent like thing that swims around quickly and is attacking them in the water and they start fighting it and you get these metal sounds so it's obviously not a regular serpent and then Kalidor pops in from nowhere again right obviously been following yeah he's just been following him again so he must be like a skilled ninja that he's the real ninja is, is Arnold obviously yes because he just keeps following them and no one knows notices <laughs> so they all all kind of start battling this machine serpent. And so now it kind of clicks. This must be the killing machine that Gedrin has set up for them. Basically, their plan is to blind it. I can't kill it. It's a machine. Sonia, we have to blind it. It's our only chance. And then they have to pry the eyes out. And then it just starts this, like, death roll. Yeah. Which is weird, because it's a machine. Why would it feel pain? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So they blind it, and they escape. One thing that they certainly do is they set something up very quickly, and then they get past it very quickly. Like, Brytag, like this serpent, every little section of the quest is just kind of like... Quick setup, quick finish. We're not getting any big payoff so far. Yeah. This next scene, we kind of learn a little bit more about Kalidor. He tells Sonia that he is the High Lord, the person who is going to the temple, and it's his duty to destroy the talisman. And so that's kind of why he's been following them and why he's been kind of going on this journey as well. And then they're just kind of chatting, and then Kalidor just kind of kisses Red Sonia. And it kind of comes out of nowhere, honestly. Yeah. He's enthralled by her. He likes her, and she probably likes him back. But she has this code. That is, no man must have me unless he beats me in a fair fight. Well, and it's obvious that she is enthralled by him because she doesn't initially stop him. It's not immediate like, no, 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 what are you doing? It's sort of like it happens for a second. Then she kind of, it clicks. Oh yeah, I have this code. And so then she stops him. Kalidor's like, okay, you want to fight, bro? Let's fight. Maybe not like (laughs) that, but he's like, okay, so if I have to fight before I can bang you, let's do it. So that's kind of that's kind of what this and this is the next scene that I remember the most. So for me, it's probably the pearl scene and then the two of them fighting scene yeah. that I remember the most out of this entire movie. They obviously like each other, but because of this code, they're going to fight and Kalidor wants to win so he can bet her. There's a funny little scene where um, Prince Tarn, who has now kind of been won over by Sonya, sees them fighting and co- tries to come to her aid yeah. by jumping on Arnold's back and trying to beat him. And he just with one hand yeah. grabs him and holds him up. And they explained to them that 
that they're just kind of practicing and they continue with their battle. He has one of my favorite lines right here as they're finishing up fighting. He kind of is getting ready to go back to or go to bed or whatever and he kind of says sort of offhand to really no one in particular. Why does she fight so hard? She doesn't want to win. Apparently it was obvious to everyone, including a 10-year-old boy. Yeah, so they, they're seen, they kind of fight for a long time. It's very drawn out where they get so tired, they're just like haphazardly swinging because they're so drained. It shows that they've been fighting for a long time, but they're also great swords fighters each. And it just kind of ends with the two of them being so tired that they fall to the trunk of this tree on opposite sides and there is kind of no winner. Yeah. The next scene, they sneak into the palace. They have a smart little way of tricking the prince to stay back because they know it's going to be a dangerous trip that they're going on and so they kind of trick the prince who is obviously conceited and he wants to be in all of the action and so they say it has to be someone very important who stays behind and protects us from this way out they all kind of make excuses to why they can't do it and the prince steps up and it's just kind of I don't know I liked it they kind of play to his ego a little bit yeah play to his ego it's almost like babysitting but (laughs) I liked it (laughs) the palace is starting to fall apart the talisman is just too powerful that Gedrin can't can't contain it and things are just gonna it, 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 just the starting parts of it we just kind of see things are we get some earthquakes we get some little bits and pieces are falling in general but basically it just means that the talisman is just too powerful to handle and apparently everyone can see it except for Gedrin. yes and this is where her henchman eichel basically leaves her uh, this is another character that we really didn't get enough depth into because i did like it i think he had an interesting look to him kind of like a a whinier varus from game of thrones if you will. Right. And he has a very creepy vibe to him. Very creepy vibe right here is a little bit. He's selfish and he's gonna and he leaves her. One thing I liked about him is the guy and I kind of just wanted to mention this. Okay, the guy who plays him is a guy named Ronald Lacey. This has been in several movies, but I remember him as the guy in Raiders of the Lost Ark who was kind of the creepy guy with the glasses and the hat. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's the same guy. That makes sense. He's good at creepy. Yeah, he's very good at creepy. So he leaves her. We have Arnold, Sonia, and Falcon are climbing up and kind of sneaking into the palace. The henchman is escaping and he runs into Prince Tarn, who is at like this kind of like big circular door thing that kind of rolls in and out to open. And they have this little fight between the two of them. And ultimately, Eichel gets crushed by the door as it rolls and closes on top of him. I always liked that. I don't know why. Yeah, it, it is kind of a fun little death scene. Just sort of like the way that he wriggles around as, as, yeah. as he's being crushed. <laughs> like yeah. it's, It is another one of those sort of over-the-top-in-a-good-way a good way type scenes. Gedrin then captures Tarn. She kind of, I guess, runs into him and captures him. They trick him because they know they're being infiltrated. And uh, they use the handmaiden. The prince comes in and she kind of tells him, everyone's left i need help and he kind of walks in because now he's like i'm gonna be the princess saves the day and as soon as he walks in gedrin comes in and takes him sonia finds them and now we have a sword fight between sonia and gedrin and it's an okay sword fight to me it's uh pretty anticlimactic because we already had a pretty cool one between kalidor and sonia but they just kind of have their fight and her wizard kind of helps her out and teleports her around the room and he has this i guess magical bowl or whatever where he stabs it and it cuts red sonia yeah, this scene seemed really weird rewatching it because, first of all, I don't know how Sonya doesn't notice the wizard. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, at all until like the very last minute. Until like she's about to face Gedrin and Gedrin looks over. I don't know why. She looks over at the wizard and then Sonya sees him and then just runs over and knocks all the stuff down and kills him and he does nothing to run away. No, he doesn't do shit. It makes no sense either. He just has that bowl. Like why the hell isn't he just stabbing the shit out of that bowl and so it just keeps cutting Red Sonya? Because she wanted her alive, I think. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, she wanted to torture her because she hated her. Let's go with that. Yeah. But the wizard was a weird character. Did a lot of unlogical things. Unfortunately, there was kind of a lot of that. I don't think unlogical is a word, but... Yeah. <laughs> illogical. Uh, illogical, yes. Illogical things. One thing we brushed over, though, a little bit, and I just kind of want to mention, is when they get into the castle, they decide to spread out. Yes. But, but somehow... Falcon falls into this thing and he slides in and has like a little funny moment where he lands on a table where other soldiers are eating their dinner or whatever and breaks the table and immediately grabs like a big giant turkey leg and starts eating it. But then you actually get, I think, Falcon's best fight scene. Yeah, definitely. Because he comes in and also Kalidor happens to come in. And so they're having this big fight where Kalidor is facing like kind of the big bad in the room and Falcon is just wailing away and his weapon of choice is a giant bone club yeah this is where falcon actually gets some really good action gets some good fighting and yeah you see that he's actually a pretty good protector and a good fighter as well yeah because he does seem very sort of oafish and and maybe not competent (laughs) at what he's supposed to do and then you realize oh okay he actually he can fight when he has to he can he can hold his own you get some fun fighting scenes there what you kind of needed as they're raiding the palace so sonia kills the wizard as the palace is just falling apart like crazy. They go into the room where the talisman is and that's where they continue the sword fight and then Getrin trips a gate that as it's falling, Sonya uh, rolls under, Indiana Jones style, gets in. And so when everyone else comes to her aid, they're stuck outside this big iron gate that they can't get in when they're fighting. Mm -hmm. And then there's a big sort of crack. And sort of the, I guess, almost comedic part to this is Falcon and Kalidor are trying to hold up the gate and Tarn just slips underneath. And as he's standing in the room, the room splits open and it's sort of like, you know, one leg on each side a little bit for a second. That's when it starts to open up and you, you realize that it's a big pit underneath the lava is there and yeah i can't remember if she actually trips or not but getra's death comes really quickly and without any very unceremoniously yeah there's no satisfaction in her death she's just okay now she's dead <laughs> she, just, yeah. she falls somehow she either tri- we don't even remember if she if she just tripped or what but she's gone now the only part about that fight scene I remember so much is Sonya's swinging like pretty much as hard as she can and the look on Gedrin's face is like she's just trying to hold off yeah. <laughs> she doesn't look like a bad guy anymore she looks like she's scared as shit yeah. then they decide that you know Sonya's got to destroy this thing and this is the part that actually always kind of bothered me even I noticed this when I was a kid if the power of the talisman comes from light why would they throw it into lava because there was a lot of light there. They've spent the whole time here saying that it need, the talisman has to go into darkness. Yeah. And then they throw it into this big bright orange lava pit. Everything explodes and fire comes up and the, the tower starts to explode from the top. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> like, it's Which an is, obviously poor model and it's yeah. poorly shot. And then you just get these bad explosions. Yeah, and it's exploding from the top, even though the talisman came from the bottom, like underneath 
the ground in right. the lava pit, but I guess that gives them enough time to escape. <laughs> right. Uh, but it looks pretty poor. There's, there's <laughs> plenty of issues in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Basically, they end up escaping. They kind of hold up the door as they kind of squeeze under. Arnold Schwarzenegger showing some of his badass strength, and they escape as the palace completely explodes. Not really falling apart, but just, like, legitimately <laughs> exploding. Exploded, yeah. <laughs> like, like, they put TNT all over the damn place. <laughs> Our heroes kind of go their separate ways. We have this cute little ending scene of Sonya and Kalidor wanting to bring up their fight again so they can be together, but they have a code, or she has a code that Kalidor kind of mocks and kind of makes it his own code. I make it a rule never to take a woman unless you can beat me in a fair fight. That's a challenge I might think about someday. What about right now? And they start the fight, and then they just start kissing. Yeah. And it ends on, a, I think, a freeze frame of them kissing. So very cheesy ending. Plenty of issues in this movie. The most of which probably being the acting. Brigitte Nielsen's acting is really bad rewatching this. Like, as a kid, I definitely obviously didn't notice that kind of stuff because I wasn't looking right. for it. But now, like, it's rough. I kind of suspected going in, watching it with sort of fresh eyes, it's not great. If no. you've never seen this movie before, you probably won't like it. It drags on at times. The delivery is pretty bad. The story really isn't all there. But that being said, I still have a huge love for this movie because the nostalgia factor for it is so high for me. I'm with you. I, I still actually enjoyed the movie. It had a lot of the elements of it's so bad, it's good kind of thing with it. Right. Like it's kind of almost like to the cult status for me where I did love it already and I'm gonna say again I fucking love Ernie Reyes Jr. in this film he's just so he's just ridiculous as that kid and I just I think he brings so many comedic elements that I'm just a fan of it and just how campy it is and everything it's one of those where if you already have a sort of a nostalgic attachment to it you will still enjoy watching it as long as you can get past the acting and delivery but you know just another Arnold Schwarzenegger movie to keep under your belt and watch every now and then and uh yeah and love your Arnold all day every day <laughs> So now we're going to go into kind of our television show for this episode. And in keeping with the campiness of Red Sonia, decided to do a TV show that gets made fun of quite a bit, Walker, Texas Ranger. The reason I kind of wanted to do this one is I do remember watching this quite a bit as a kid because our father watched this a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is definitely, yeah, one of his kind of shows that were just in the background. But, I, I you know, when he watched it, we would watch it. And, that you know, we've had this before in the in the Blues Brothers and the A-Team because our, our dad our parents, both of our parents really, did introduce us to a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. We, I mean, we would watch, obviously, a lot of the kids' stuff, but, you know, all the stuff that we really kind of glatched onto that wasn't necessarily meant for kids was through our parents because it was something they watched or they really, really liked, and we just kind of latched onto it. So we're going to do uh, old Chuck Norris himself, Walker, Texas Ranger. Which aired from 1993 to 2001. It had eight seasons on CBS. It was co-created by Paul Haggis who is a screenwriter and he's actually best known for Million Dollar Baby, Crash, oh. Casino Royale. So like he's a really good writer. Yeah. And I would never have guessed such a good writer was on Walker <laughs> Texas Ranger. 
So yeah, so the show stars Chuck Norris as our lead, who you actually only only a few times actually hear his actual first name. The character's first name is Cordell, so it's Cordell Walker. And then in an episode, you actually find out that his full name is actually Cordell Firewalker because he's part Native American um, and he was orphaned and he changed his name. And, and I think this all came out in an episode, so it sounds like something that was sort of an after the fact yeah. type of thought. They're like, oh, well, we'll add this in. Also stars. Uh, Clarence Gilliard Jr., who has been in a lot of things that you probably weren't aware that it was him. He was in Top Gun. He plays the character of Sundown, who becomes Tom Cruise's Rio after Goose dies. Basically, he plays the only black guy in Top Gun. And the only black guy in Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, pretty much. Also has a very <laughs> prominent role in Die Hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love him in Die Hard. Quarterback is toast. Yeah, he plays the guy who's been in charge of cracking the safe. And actually, oddly enough, I just found out works basically down the street from me. He's a professor of theater at uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Let's have him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> also starred a few other characters, mainly a woman named Sherry Wilson. She plays the district attorney and also kind of becomes his love interest. And a guy named Noble Willingham plays a character named C.D. Parker, who's kind of like the old vet-ish. The old, yeah, exactly. The old vet. The, he was a former ranger. He kind of gives advice and it's just kind of like kind of almost like a father figure. Yeah. And then you have other guys who kind of come in and out, kind of like in the A-team where you have that core group and every so often they'd have characters that would last for a season and, and not. But those are your core four characters of uh, Walker, Trevette, Alex, and then C.D. Parker, the, the old vet. Funny you mention A-team. It just I got like a lot of A-team vibes from this show. Yes. It just had a lot of that campy action to it. A lot of that everything just seems to fall into place perfectly for Walker or Walker is just great at everything. It doesn't matter what they're doing. They could be like, oh, now we ran into a, a basketball game that's done on figure skating. And then Walker's like, well, I've done that. And he just like, goes, like, it doesn't make any goddamn sense, but he's just perfect at everything. And I kind of, yeah. it's, it's, it's got a whole campy thing to it. And it just re- did remind me a lot of A-Team and just kind of that whole dynamic. It's very much sort of, I mean, there is some overarching that happens, but it's mostly episodic. It's extremely a CBS procedural show. Yes. It is very much that formula. To me, it felt so much like I was watching just an older country Texas version of NCIS or CSI or whatever, right. just done in a more lighthearted Texas way. Yeah, it kind of had the vibe. Now, granted, it ran through mostly through the 90s, so it, it has a very 90s vibe to it. In the clothing and the in the, the way that the show is shot, yes. it, it just screams 90s. Speaking of 90s and just how 90s it is, Season one had this atrociously 90s theme song and you watch the opening credits and it looked exactly like, you know, like you see on YouTube now those, hey, here's Game of Thrones 90s version. And it's just like you play like shitty music and you have like a fake VHS look to it. And it was exactly like that. And then in season two, they redid the theme song. And this is the one that most people know that Chuck Norris actually sang on. And it is so bad. It is. And I love it for it. I, I, oh. I love it because it's so bad. In the eyes of a ranger, the unsuspecting stranger had better know the truth of wrong from right. Cause the eyes of the ranger are upon you. 
singing he it almost sounds like he's not comfortable doing it like they made him do it just screams bad cheesy 90s to me i know and you know what i will i will say this i like chuck norris oh yeah i think chuck norris kind of got a bad rap you know over the last 10 years not it just kind of gets it's not an intentional making fun of him but it is kind of that way he was a very kind of important action star in the 80s did a lot of big action movies now whether or not those movies are good is really up for you to decide by watching them but it was the 80s he's very well known for his martial arts he was in a bruce lee movie he's done some really good stuff he's done some good movies oh, yeah. he's in a movie that i that i think we're going to cover here eventually called sidekicks oh love sidekicks i love that movie and, and he plays a big part in that all of like the chuck norris facts and whatnot really stem and can be a thing because of how campy and also just how moral he is with like all of his role choices and things like that and this is no exception yes walker texas ranger is like an extremely moral character and moral show and like he kind of lives by the code of the old west he's a very honorable guy and it just kind of ties into oh he's the kind of character that you know your grandma's gonna love and she will watch (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is kind of the uh the matlock for texas yeah Sort of like a Texas version of Matlock, but maybe not quite for old people, but it, I, I guess kind of for old people. It's on CBS. It's for old people. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> uh, Clarence Gillard Jr., who plays Trevette, was on Matlock, but right before he got this role. So he, he spent like eight years on Matlock and then went straight to this. It's kind of like watching, it, it, it kind of, as you mentioned, it's kind of like watching the A-Team. If you can get past the datedness of some of the stuff, like the references and the the clothing and all that stuff. It's a very pure story. It's very simple. Good guys, bad guys, everything works out in the end. Yes, every episode, everything gets wrapped up extremely just fits that that cbs style and that's why i didn't really enjoy watching this <laughs> because i really don't like any of those cbs procedural shows like i've tried to watch them and i know you do you watch ncis i believe i love ncis and i hate it it's so horribly produced in my mind all of their choices are awful and the acting is awful and everything just wraps up so perfectly and fucking walker texas ranger he's great at everything and he's just such a perfect <laughs> guy and there's no depth and i just i did not like this (laughs) i mean i love chuck norris because of you know just the mythos around chuck norris but this show this show sucked my favorite part was the partner jimmy trevette Uh he actually seemed like a a real kind of character you know he was almost kind of like the city guy that walker puts him through the ropes every now and then through texasy kind of stuff he does appear to have more depth of a character he has more flaws yeah more things he has to overcome he's real and that's why i liked him Everything else I thought was just bad. You know, I see those procedural shows as just sort of like, it's just sort of like comfort food. (laughs) You know, there's not really a bad bowl of macaroni and cheese. If you just need something, you know it's going to end well for everyone, unless you end up in one of the one of the few times when they do a two-part episode. But yeah, I mean, it's it's if you like your formula, if you like, you know, everything fits in perfectly, you know, it's those situations where they always seem to be in the right place at the right time to run into somebody doing something bad, and then they're going to go on their adventure. It's so formulaic that, yeah, I can understand people who like that, and they just want their comfort food. You have it in the background, and you're good with it, but yeah, that was never my vibe, so, and it just just watching this, I was like, yep, this is this is such a CBS fucking show <laughs> that I am not a fan. You're entitled to your opinion no matter how wrong it is. Yeah, <laughs> but I love Chuck Norris. 
my take on this show is if you like those sort of procedural shows, it's going to be good. Even for me, who likes shows like NP- NCIS, it was a little over the top. And it's, maybe that's just because it's because of how dated it is. I didn't hate it. And it was it's one of those shows where if I was in a room where I had no control over choosing the channel <laughs> and it was on. I would watch it and not complain about it. I wouldn't actively go out of my way to watch it just because it is a little bit more dated. I have no doubt in my mind that this is probably airing in syndication on PAX TV right now. (laughs) Probably something like that. Actually, I think I saw it on like Grind or something like that channel or something like that. Yeah, they used to show it all the time on USA. Yeah, yeah, it was all over USA. Uh, For a while, but it's, it's kind of left. So it's actually kind of hard to find. It's hard to find episodes to watch. But ultimately, I would say it's neither good nor bad. It just kind of is what it is. That's my take on Walker, Texas Ranger. That's fine. I think that's fair enough. I guess the best thing about it is that it really did enhance the legend that is Chuck Norris. And I think the Chuck Norris facts probably came out of Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, yeah. It really, really, I mean, from, yeah, his 80s stuff. And then this kind of really helped propel that. Which actually, you know, there's some very interesting things out there about Chuck Norris. I don't know if you ever knew this. Like, did you know that Chuck Norris was bitten by a cobra? And after five days of excruciating pain, the cobra died. Huh. Well, did you know that when the zombie apocalypse starts, Chuck Norris doesn't try to survive? The zombies do. Did you know that Chuck Norris is currently suing NBC, claiming law and order are trademarks for his left and right legs? Did you know that Chuck Norris can hear sign language? Did you know that Chuck Norris will never have a heart attack? His heart isn't nearly foolish enough to attack him. Did you know that Chuck Norris makes onions cry? Did you know that Chuck Norris has already been to Mars? That's why there are no signs of life. Did you know that Chuck Norris refers to himself in the fourth person? Did you know that Chuck Norris can kill two birds with one stone? Did you know that uh, Chuck Norris's blood type is AK-47? Did you know that Chuck Norris doesn't sleep, he waits. You know, I heard that death once had a near Chuck experience. (laughs) That's, That's a good one. So now we're going to cast Red Sonia, and we've got a couple different characters that we're going to do. We're going to do Red Sonia, we're going to do Kalidor, we're going to do Queen Gedrin, Falcon, Tarn, and then two of the lesser characters, Eichel and Brytag. And I would like to start with Brytag, who is the, you know, least shown character in the entire movie. We have a very short scene with him. But as we kind of mentioned before, he's one that if we did, a, if a remake happened, I bet they would put a lot more into this character. And we're kind of casting this for a movie. But this is also something where they could they could turn this into a series very much like a Game of Thrones. You know, it could be totally. a, a Netflix series or an HBO series or, or, you know, any one of those streaming services or something like that. I wanted to do this character just because I want there to be more. I think if I put a, an actor attached to it in my head it'll happen <laughs> and there was supposed to be a red sonia reboot oh, okay following the conan the barbarian reboot that happened in like 2011 2009 oh, something like that okay yeah and it was going called drogo yeah it was actually going to be directed by robert rodriguez and it was going to star rose mcgowan as red sonia oh but when interesting when conan the barbarian reboot flopped they axed the project all right so brightag so the character who kind of has the toll that you have to pass to go the short route to get to Queen Gedrin's kingdom. One thing we didn't mention was um, the guy who played Brightag. I can't I uh, can't remember his name off the top of my head. Pat Roach. Yes, Pat Roach. Pat Roach has been in a, many different things, but I always remember him as being in the movie Willow 
he's the general with the big sort of monkey skull helmet. Oh. You don't really see his face throughout the movie, but he plays like kind of the, not the big bad, but kind of like the big bad's general. So I kind of kept that in mind as I did my casting. Okay, I'll go ahead and say mine. For me, just kind of like the look of Brightag, there wasn't much depth to the character, so I kind of was going on who I would want to be this badass leader of this army who kind of has a stronghold that is just a bit of a step for Sonya and them. Um, And I only had one person in mind watching the movie, and that's someone you have used before, and it's Christopher Hivju, who is Tormund Giantsbane in Game of Thrones. Okay, I could see, I could totally see that. Brightag does kind of have reddish hair, Mm -hmm. so I could totally see that. Fun actor. He's obviously kind of good with the action. Obviously, Game of Thrones fantasy style fits really well into Red Sonja fantasy. So it was maybe a bit of uh, typecasting, but it just kind of worked really well for me. I'm going to say a a lot of my cast is basically typecasted in this one, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. A few, uh, I think I have a few sort of surprises, but a lot of it's going to be, well, you've seen them play characters like this before. I actually went a little bit older for my bright tag. I wanted somebody who was a little bit more heft in maybe acting chops because I'd like to see more of this character. I went with the Irish actor, Brandon Gleeson. Oh, I love Brandon Gleeson. He's a great actor. Probably best known as playing... Mad-Eye Moody. Oh yeah, he was Mad-Eye Moody. I forgot about that. See me in me. I always think of him as Mel Gibson's friend in Braveheart, Mm. as William Wallace's sort of childhood friend. Friend. Big guy, also with the red hair. Although whether or not the hair has to be red, it really doesn't. <laughs> yeah. It really has nothing to do with it. He's awesome in in Bruges. He's awesome in Gangs of New York. Yeah, yeah. He's a fantastic actor. Great. I, I mean, I I can never turn him down for anything. He just kind of like he kind of seems to have that presence, even just when you listen to him talk normally. Like he sounds like a badass even in real life, mm-hmm. just kind of the way he carries himself and the way he talks. And I wanted somebody who could kind of do that and carry the heft of the role and could do some fighting. Honestly, even if Bright Tag doesn't do a lot of fighting, because he doesn't really do a lot of fighting in the movie. He loses pretty quick. Yeah. I just wanted somebody that was badass. And I I think Brendan Gleeson's pretty badass. Definitely. So we'll move to Eichel, who's Queen Gedrin's henchman, her advisor to an extent, but he's got that very creepy look to him. And incidentally, Eichel is the word Loki spelled backwards. Cool. Thought of a couple different people, possibly even, as I mentioned before, he's almost like a Varys character for me. So I thought of Conleth Hill, who plays Varys in Game of Thrones. Right. I also thought of the look of the character. He looks a lot like Wallace Shawn to me. I always, <laughs> I, I think, I think of Wallace Shawn who played Vizzini in Princess Bride. You know, the inconceivable guy. Yes. Like I immediately, every time, I'm like, fuck. Would I? I think I want Wallace. Sean in that part. You know what? I initially also yeah. went with Wallace Sean. I ultimately <laughs> didn't pick him. Me, me neither. Me but, neither. But I also I thought Eichel then looks like Wallace Sean now. Yeah. I almost did the same thing. But Wallace Sean is like in his seventies now. I wanted someone a little bit younger, even though. But as an advisor, that wouldn't that would work just fine. He is basically a general, so he does some fighting. Yeah, he does some fighting. I should have mentioned overall my mindset for recasting Red Sonia. I kind of want to keep the campiness feel of it. Uh-huh. Like I'm imagining if we're making a new Red Sonia, I'm not making it a badass Red Sonia. I'm making it another campy as fuck Red Sonia. <laughs> okay. So I kind of have some actors who are a little bit campy, a little bit comedic. So I ended up going for my Eichel is a guy who does some comedic stuff and his name is Matt Lucas. Oh yeah. He plays Tweedledee and Tweedledum in the more recent Alice in Wonderland and through the Wook- Looking Glass. He does sketch comedy in the show Little Britain. He's got a very goofy 
goofy kind of look to him. Yes. But I think he would kind of be a funny Eichel. Kind of, uh, he'd, he'd bring some campiness to it, so that's why I liked it. He would definitely be a more comedic Eichel than the one we get in the movie. Definitely. He was also in the most recent uh, season of Doctor Who. He played okay. not necessarily Doctor Who's companion, but kind of one of his companions. But I bet, just because he has a very interesting look to him, I bet he could look creepy. And so I, I think I think you put him in the right scenario. He would be campy, comedic, and also creepy all at the same time. Yeah, I'd buy that. I did not kind of skew so campy. I did put some comic thought into some of my casting, but mostly I was kind of going for the badass realm a little bit more seriously. So oddly enough, and this just kind of ended up as a coincidence, because I thought of this person for this character before I put the two together. But as I mentioned before, Eichel backwards is Loki. And I think that was on purpose. Well, I went with someone who plays a character called Floki with an F in the front. He's one of the Skarsgård brothers. He plays Floki in the TV show Vikings. And this guy named Gustav Skarsgård, um, who plays kind of a crazy-ish character in Floki and Vikings. And I think would actually fit pretty well in this role. I don't know, but I'll have to check him out. There's like a million Skarsgård brothers, it seems. So. I know. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and move on to Prince Tarn. For me, it was the toughest fucking person to cast. Yes. If I had my pick, I wouldn't cast an actor that I know. I would cast someone based on their martial arts ability, and I would find some unknown kid who can do martial arts and just try and figure that out. I would pick some unknown. I had that exact same thought. I had the same thought because I couldn't find someone that I really, really wanted initially. Because in my thought, I was like, well, it's got to be somebody who can do martial arts. Yeah. But I also went back and thought, okay, in this day and age, you can train them. Yes. Yeah. And I, I picked someone as well. But like if I had my top pick, it would just be like, no, pick a pick a martial artist, you know, kind of like probably what they did basically with Ernie Reyes Jr. at the time. But I did end up picking someone. I did as well. And if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and sure is mine sure i actually i'll be honest with you because every so often sometimes i'll try to stay true when we do these castings to the character and sometimes i'll want to change it initially i wanted to change it and i wanted to make this a girl Uh um i didn't ultimately go with that but i don't know if it really had anything to do with it but one of the things that always seemed kind of weird is the prince's garb had a very sort of i won't say chinese but definitely an eastern feel to it Mm -hmm. but so did falcons but falcons was like the whitest guy ever Yes. And so I decided to change things. And I'm actually going to go ahead and tell you both my Prince Tarn and my Falcon, because to me, I kind of cast them together. Um, so I changed things up a little bit. And my Prince Tarn, I went with a kid named, I'm I'm going to butcher this name and I apologize, Neil Sethi. He played Mowgli in the live action Jungle Book movie. Oh, how old is that kid? 13 or 14 now. Okay. All right. Young enough that he could play a little kid. Oh, yeah, totally. And so I just, I just decided that I wanted to kind of have some someone to match him and since he is Indian American I also for Falcon went with someone who was Indian American and I this is where I put in my comedy and I didn't go with someone who looked like Falcon so he's not so overweight but he definitely could carry so for for my Falcon I went with Kumail Nanjiani he's in Silicon Valley oh okay on uh, oh he's very very funny guy yeah he's a very funny guy he had a movie with his wife come out recently I haven't seen him he's he's been in quite a few things yes yeah, it has very good I can't remember the name of the movie but it's got a great rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. I've seen his stand up and, and, and he's just a, he's a really, really, really funny guy. Okay. I just, I thought those two would make a good sort of pairing. I mean, he would bring a lot of, a lot of humor to it for sure. Yeah. Cause I, I, you definitely want some humor Yeah, and you can't, it can't just be all serious all the time. Yeah. And it comes mostly with these two characters. So yeah, okay. exactly. So funny that you mentioned, you thought about turning the prince into a princess because that's exactly what I did. Ah, 
I went with uh, an actress who've actually I used before. I used her in our Thundercats episode. I'm going to guess. Is it X-23? It's X-23. All right. That's exactly who I chose. She, I mean, she's obviously got some action stuff. Uh, she kind of already played a brat a little bit in as X-23 in Logan, but... If I had to pick someone, I figured, you know what, I'll go with her. I think she could do those kind of comic moments because they had similar stuff in Logan. Right. But I think, yeah, she could do it. And I thought she'd be okay. I mean, granted, my choice is still just pick a martial artist. Right. <laughs> but if I had to go with somebody, I'd go, I turned it to Princess Tarn or Tarna, whatever, and it'd be Daphne Keen. I like that switch. I like. I kind of like it sometimes when we switch things up a little bit and change things. So my Falcon, I did pretty much like a, a straight one-to-one ratio from the Falcon in the movie. Kind of a big guy who might be able to do some fighting things, but he's also very comedic. And so I ended up going with Kevin James. Uh, I, I looked at him too, but ultimately yeah, didn't choose him. He, uh, he's obviously known as being a big guy. He did have like a movie where he did like an MMA fighting thing not that long ago. And so I thought maybe he has some training that could do some fight scenes. And he obviously would bring the comedy and he would be very campy. And then, like I said, in my version, I'm having a campy fucking version. Right. And so he fit, he fits right in. No, I can see that for a straight character one-to-one that I totally buy that. So let's move to Queen Gedrin. All right. And I'll go ahead and start. I didn't overthink this one. We have a female who is a bit of a bitch, <laughs> and she gets angry very easily. I went with Lena Headey. Ah! Queen Cersei from Game of Thrones. So I kind of went back to Game of Thrones. She has done kind of campy villains before, if you've ever seen the recent Dread movie, which actually I really liked. I did too. The recent Judge Dread movie. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Honestly, way better than the Stallone version, in my opinion. But she, so she can play villains. Obviously, she plays villains very well. I think she could probably bring some campiness to it. And I, it was, I didn't, yeah, didn't think too hard. So Lena Headey for me. <laughs> okay. I recently saw a movie that had a bunch of women in it. <laughs> Wonder Woman. And uh, I did not watch House of Cards. My wife did. But I really liked the look of Robin Wright in Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And even though she plays a good guy, she almost looks like she could be a bad guy. Because she just looked like she was going to kick some ass. I know Robin Wright can act. Oh, yeah. She plays the bitch really well in House of Cards, according to my wife, even though I've never really, I've only watched a couple episodes. I know it was a long time ago, but we always think of her in The Princess Bride. But uh, she was really awesome in Wonder Woman, and I think she would make an even bigger force against Red Sonia. So I went with Robin Wright. I like that one too. Yeah, I mean, she's a great actress. Like her a lot. So let's go ahead and move on to Kalidor. And I'll let you start this one off. All right. At a tough time. Because of who I picked for Red Sonia, I needed somebody who could match that. I initially thought of Dwayne Johnson. He's a big guy. But ultimately, my version was going to be a little bit more serious. And that's not to say he can't play serious. But he does he does serious with comedy very well. Oh, yeah. So ultimately, I didn't go with him. And I'm thinking about, okay, well, this is a Conan character. Well, shit, I'm just going to go with Conan. So I did Jason Momoa. Okay. So you're so you're keeping it in that universe. Yes, and and I never saw it, but I have heard some people talk about it who have seen it. And apparently, the issue with that movie really came down to the writing, not so much the acting. And even if it was the acting, it was it was a long enough ago that I think I think Jason Momoa's kind of found his stride that I think he could reprise it well enough. That you could just kind of disconnect him from the Conan movie. But I, yeah, so I went with Jason Momoa. I mean, yeah, he's, he's taken over for Arnold once before. He can do it again. Yeah, pretty much. So for me, the full-on camp mode was going here. <laughs> I mean, when I think of 
current action stars who are just kind of maybe a little bit past their prime, which Arnold definitely wasn't past his prime when he did this film. But right. like for me, slightly past their prime who are in, who just seem to only do the campy shit nowadays. I went with Gerard Butler. Ah. I think, you know, he's a little bit older than what I kind of would want, but I think, I think he obviously he can get into shape. He did 300. He actually did 300 with Lena Headey. So kind of putting them back together, right. but on opposite sides this time. But I think Gerard Butler could bring obviously the sword fighting, obviously the action, obviously the campiness. You know, if you ever saw Gods of Egypt, that kind of vibe with Gerard Butler nowadays, I think he would be an interesting Kalidor in my in my version. Yeah, I can see them casting it. So let's move on to our star, our main protagonist, Red Sonia. I'll go ahead and start. Okay. For me... I wanted someone who could do some action and I wanted to keep alive the bad acting. <laughs> and so I am picking someone who's not really an actress. She has been in a couple things, but she's known for her fighting. I picked Ronda Rousey. Oh, uh, I would so, <laughs> I would so see that movie. Yeah. I would go see that. They would totally like add in a bunch of MMA kind of shit, you know. Right. But she would also have a big sword and then you'd have Gerard Butler being fucking Gerard Butler. Yeah, I, I think... I I think it just for me it'd be stupid and it fit in with the feel of red sonia as it currently is i'm kind of mad i didn't think of her because i i genuinely like ronda rousey mm -hmm. her acting is okay but i mean she need she just needs training oh yeah you know what i would totally see i would go see that for sure i like that <laughs> My pick is probably a little bit more obvious. You actually mentioned her at the beginning of the entire podcast, and that was exactly who I picked. You, when you mentioned her as a Brienne of Tarth character, I went with Brienne of Tarth. <laughs> that's on the nose. <laughs> I went with Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's an on the nose pick, very much. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they, they make Gwendolyn Christie not look so great. Oh, yeah, no, she's gorgeous. In Game of Thrones. She's a gorgeous woman, so she can totally pull anything off. She's already, and, and it is kind of typecasting, because it's it, they're very similar characters. Yeah. Very much, you know, they're w amazing women sword fighters, sort of distrust of men, but she's already got the sword training. She's a tall woman. She's like 6'2 or something like that, so... She could definitely fill it. And I just, I like her. I was really upset that her part in episode seven of Star Wars was such, was as small as it was. Was a pathetic part. I know, because I was actually genuinely excited about, oh, yeah. about her character. So I'm hoping the next episode we get more of that, or more of her, like more development and more action with her character, because she really didn't do anything. No, she's, she's supposed to be back, and hopefully she will bring the badass, because that's what we wanted. Yeah. I, I like that call. I think it, it fits very well. Yeah, no. She, I mean, I, yeah, as I said, I, I mentioned that earlier and it makes a lot of sense to pick her. Yeah. You know what is this one was kind of interesting because normally we kind of go in similar directions. Even if we don't pick the same people, we go in the sort of the same tone. And here we kind of went in two separate tones. Yeah. I definitely went more for this, more for the seriousness and, and more for the for the action and, and acting and, and you played more towards the comedy which is nice actually because then it really makes for a good diverse feel no matter which way we go and I'd see it either way I just like the character um, I think this this was actually our first time recasting a movie all of our other ones we, we've done shows so that's true I'm glad Arnold could pop my cherry <laughs> so that's our casting of Red Sonia Please join us in two weeks for an episode with special guest Casey Bennett from the Movie Multiverse podcast, where we talk who framed Roger Rabbit and cast the Marvel superhero team Excalibur. Also, John and I review the 90s Nicktoon show 
Doug. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blastpastcast. That's at blastpastcast on both Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. Bye.